This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Rabid Hamsters in Space! Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that's the last remaining corner of a once great interstellar empire. My name is Gavin. I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi. And this week, they've been hinted, they've been hinted, they've been mm. foreshadowed, they've been set up. Now we finally get to see the big bad of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. The, the terror from beyond the deepest recesses of the galaxy, now finally seen for the first time. Our original series had the Klingons, the, the iconic, mostly reoccurring alien species that was their main antagonist and then was added to with the Romulans and other things. And they needed, they needed a main antagonist for Next Generation. And they even had it planned. They mentioned them in the first episode. It's like there's continuity. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird that they seemed to plan this out. Why did they plan this? <laughs> of all the things to plan. Uh, I think Gene Roddenberry. Um, so uh, he, he wanted there to be a big bad. And there, people were like, okay, that makes sense. All right. And uh, we wanted this big bad to be the, uh, the worst thing ever. Okay. So some sort of murderous faction. It's like, no, worse. They're going to be capitalists. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's oh, pretty okay. bad. Pretty bad. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of the same thing, though, right? <laughs> but but not capitalists. No. Uh, in any uh, yeah. particular sense of the word. Yeah, it's a weird sort of joke version of capitalism, really, uh, though that mostly becomes later. <laughs> this it's, episode, it's though. sort is, of yeah. pirates. Yeah, this, this it's kind, kind of yeah. pirates, sort of. Are but not really. Which is kind of funny I mean, since it wasn't yeah. one of the things Gene wanted to avoid was like space pirates and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then he put space pirates in. All right, enough beating around. <laughs> enough beating around the Ferengi. Yes, we the Ferengi. Have, <laughs> we've hit the last outpost. Which is the first appearance of the Ferengi, who become, they do become one of the iconic alien species of mm -hmm. this era of Star Trek. So Indeed. They, they do that, but not at, at all in this form. True. They, they change quite a bit. Though, so, I guess uh, in some ways, uh, their, their, appear, their one appearance in Star Trek Enterprise does kind of harken back to this more rogue pirate sort of stuff that they're kind of pulling here. Yeah, because they try to kind of retcon that they did have like a cultural shift or some such yeah. happen. Or like, that there's weird little bands of Ferengi around. I, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing's stupid. The whole thing is just stupid. <laughs> it's not well thought out, uh, but apparently their, their sex stuff was well well designed by Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they 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 have an iconic look. You yes. can give it that. They've got really good makeup. Mm-hmm. Like really iconic Michael Westmore makeup, so, big ears. But apparently, apparently originally created by Andrew uh, Probert. Actually, I should not credit like modifications by Westmore because he was the main makeup designer for the series, but should not credit him with the original design. Apparently, okay. so I apologize for that. Okay, Frangies, oof, <laughs> Frangie. 
Ferengi. Ferengi. Yeah. They now exist so, in yeah, Star Trek. We did a horrible episode last time. This is a medium episode. There's not bad. There's a not bad episode coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we but, that but right now, yeah. <laughs> right now we got to deal with the Frangi and the last outpost, which is yes, so uh, uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's just get on with it. Eh? Mm. So, so who do we have today? All right. So this uh, story was written by Richard uh, Kurzman, I think. Bad, bad pronunciation. It looks, it looks Polish or some such that kind oh. of name. So I'm not going to be able to pronounce it well. It's got a Z in the middle of it. Um, Kurzman. Yeah. Maybe. I'm sorry. Kurzman. This is only Star Trek credit. He wrote for other things like the Twilight Zones and the World of the Worlds TV show, which I was not aware of, but sounds weird. Yes. Dust to dust. So he did the original story, and then it was written for TV by Herbert Wright, who did uh, several Next Generation episodes, including some other Ferengi appearances. Uh, people have dubbed him the father of the Ferengi because he kind of wrote a lot of the early Ferengi episodes. Yes. He left after the first season because of ill treatment of the writers by Gene Runbury's attorney, which is a common thread throughout mm-hmm. the first couple of seasons of the show, unfortunately. Yeah, they just churned through people so quickly. It was ridiculous. They really did. I think we covered we covered yeah. some of that in our initial setup episode, so I'm not going to go too much more into it. We have a lot of guest stars because mm-hmm. it's sort of an ensemble thing happening this week. Yeah, so this, the Enterprise crew is meeting a crew of another space vessel, so they have a bunch mm-hmm. of random people there. Yep. So Mike Gomez plays Damon Tarr. Tarr. Uh, he started. He started acting in the '80s in uh, a thing called Getting Wasted. Then did several TV show appearances on like T.G. Hooker, Hill Street Blues. Um, he was in The Big Lebowski and things like that. Yes. Uh, also in something called Hunter. He also does another Ferengi in a later episode. So, you know, a lot of the Ferengis do show up again. I guess getting actors who fit the makeup is uh, is something. Yes. Uh, he shows up in uh, Rascals, I believe. Yes? Yes. Yes. Then, of course, the one you've heard of, Armin Sherman, who uh, is best known for later playing the Ferengi Quark on DS9. But mm-hmm. he before this, he was in just all the things he was the yeah, principal was... in buffy for a season he was an alien in stargate sg1 he was in charmed he was in seinfeld he's just been everywhere yes beauty and the beast uh the paper chase uh a woman at west point was apparently his first thing in 1979 so he's been uh, doing a fair bit of stuff for quite a while and has kept up mm-hmm. so neat he plays uh letek i didn't mention because none of the frangies use their names mm-hmm and it's impossible to tell them apart if we're being honest the makeup's very similar yeah i, I can kind of tell armin shimmerman because i know his face pretty well but the other two yeah I, mm-hmm. this one and that one i guess jake zenzel is playing mordock mordock he was in a lot of film and tv also in tj hooker twilight zone 12th night um he was just the weirdest ferengi in the episode um <laughs> Some, if you watch this, just just watch this for the camp factor mm-hmm. and to observe the truly baffling acting choices that they made. I don't know if this was their decision, if it was the direction. I believe the, it was the, the direction, the, actually. The uh, physical acting in this episode is baffling. Yes, I, I believe they were actually asked to act like that. 
Yeah, why? <laughs> well, uh, I can maybe get into that a little bit uh, later. Okay. But, uh, so much pointing. So much random pointing yes. things. <laughs> and hopping around and flailing and just being at weird angles with their arms. Yes. You know what it reminds me of? Do you, do you know in, in the Castlevania series, there's the little flea men who just mm. jump around endlessly. They're one of the most annoying enemies. They're about two <laughs> feet tall, and they do nothing but jump around. <laughs> they remind me a lot of that. Deadly if you don't pay attention to them, but otherwise, <laughs> just a minor menace. <laughs> okay, also we have Tracy Walker, who played Charon. Chiron. Chiron. I don't remember Ch- if they said his name. Oh. Anyway, he was, he's pretty well known for playing sidekicks in different things. He was mm-hmm. a gangster thug in Batman. He played Cookie in City Slickers. He played a random side character in Conan the Destroyer. And he also had a lot of film and TV roles from the 70s until now. Most of these people yes. are still working. Yes, uh, He was also an Independence Day in Fist of the North Star. This is not important. <laughs> and finally, Daryl Heinrich or Henrik possibly plurt uh he played portal who's a mm-hmm. weird 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 character who shows up for a minute in this he will also be a romulan ambassador later on in yes. undiscovered country which yes. is later than this because we're uh, our timeline is really messed up yeah he was both in the past of the show but in the future of reality a romulan oh gosh we're breaking the timeline again gapwin yeah because this episode came out in 1987 which means it came out before Undiscovered Country because we had some crossover, but we were not doing these things chronologically. That's just going to get weird. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to stop uh, Star Trek The Next Generation to cover the Undiscovered Country again. Uh, <laughs> and then we're going to do one episode of Next Gen and an episode of DS9 and then an episode of Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> just back and forth forever. <laughs> yeah, that only makes that would only make sense if we were doing the last two seasons of Stargate. Kind of, yeah. Because <laughs> there was a lot of, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Linkage. A lot of crossover between Stargate and Atlantis. But anyway, yes, so Portal will play Romulan Ambassador slash we have seen him already as Romulan Ambassador <laughs> in Undiscovered Country. Uh, varied career, lots of film roles. Uh, was in Citizen, The Right Stuff, and my personal go-to childhood favorite movie, The Rocketeer. Oh, yeah, that was a great movie. <laughs> Who, who did he play in that, actually? I didn't look that up. I'm just indulging myself, so, you know. Who did he play in The Rocketeer? Stand-up comedian. Yes, who did he play in The Rocketeer? Yes, I want you to search for The Rocketeer. It's the whole reason I'm trying to find... G-Man! Oh, he was just one of the random random government agents. Well, at least he wasn't a Nazi, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something. Side characters in that movie are either, are either feds, gangsters, or Nazis. Pick your poison, I guess. <laughs> guess a couple of actors. But anyway, one day we'll cover Rocketeer. It is, it's like old school science fiction. Indeed. When sci-fi well, meant we found a cool doodah. Yeah, and then let's see what happens and we'll go on an mm-hmm. adventure. I guess technically it would be classified as diesel punk fiction, but, you know, you, you can get into endless arguments whether steampunk, diesel punk, and, and other things count as sci-fi. But if ray punk is sci-fi, then I don't see why not. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say diesel punk counts. Also, uh, there's also things like tape punk, where it's like sort of the late seventies, and you have the big reels with the uh, tape thing, you know, you know, uh, reels on there, and and oh, yeah. you have like robots as well, and it's cool. Yeah, sort of like aliens. Yeah. Anyway, retro future stuff is 
some of my favorite just generally okay that's all the actors anyway i'm just i'm i'm just randomly talk i have no idea where we're gonna get with this episode <laughs> it's so bafflingly weird I got a few ideas, but uh, well, I guess we'll maybe sort of uh, have to roll into it and uh, see how things shake out. So, the Enterprise is in pursuit of a Ferengi vessel that took a power converter from an unmanned Federation outpost. Could have gone to Tashi Station. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, you know, they just should have gone to Tashi Station, you know, use some of their gold-pressed latinum to uh, buy a power converter. Don't have to go steal it, guys. Come on. This is the first chance the Federation has to encounter, talk to, learn about the mysterious Ferengi alliance. So why are they so mysterious? Because we just haven't seen them. Mm, yes. We haven't talked to them. They refuse to communicate, basically. So... The Ferengi ship heads into a nearby star system with several unexplored planets. When passing over one of the planets, the Ferengi have a power surge and drop out of warp. The Enterprise stops as well. Uh, they are fired on by some sort of electromagnetic energy weapon thingy that drains their shields and batteries. The ship is also just dragged forward towards the Ferengi ship. So this is some cool, like, oh my god, the Ferengi have, like, super-powered technology. This is basically the things that the Klingons had in that one animated series episode that just drains all the ship's power. Yeah, it's like, all right, well, uh, I guess we're stuck in space now. Um, do we have any grain ships to sort of toss in the way? Yeah, they're fresh out of grain ships. Uh, how about triples? Can we beam some over? That would, they should just keep some of those. They seem useful for these sorts of circumstances. <laughs> yeah, just call the ones you don't need and keep a couple uh, just on hand. You know, <laughs> Maybe cryogenically frozen. <laughs> so Enterprise is rapidly losing power. They don't know anything about the Ferengi. They have apparently been compared to Yankee traders who were American drug smugglers during the 1700s and 1800s. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's a weirdly specific analogy. Yes, uh... And they didn't smuggle just drugs, but a lot of smuggling involved all the same. Yeah, lots of smuggling. See, I had to look this up, and I went to school in Boston for a couple of years, and they loved nothing better than teaching you all the details of that era of yes. American <laughs> colonialization. So if I had to look it up, it's a weirdly specific analogy. Yes, uh, it's, it kind of feels like it might be one that they didn't understand or maybe gene rod and mary specifically didn't understand properly but maybe he did it's just a little baffling but yeah it, mm -hmm. it does kind of beg the question then if they're some sort of traitors illegal or otherwise why are they just now meeting them shouldn't they you mm -hmm. know as a have as a traded major, <laughs> yeah as a, as a major power in this part of space the federation would be you know someone to maybe try to sell things to yeah one thing that i do like that they stop doing later i it, i didn't notice it until i was re-watching this to write the thing uh they do oh they they're yankee traders and they go oh what the heck is a yankee trader and Riker goes oh from my ancestors meaning the american on the ship yes <laughs> they're decentering america to the point that he has to explain american history Yes. Which is an interesting idea if you are trying to depict true multiculturalism. It's like, oh, yeah, the, the, I'm the, from the one weird part of the uh, Earth, you know, the Americas, uh, you know, where none of the, no one else on the ship is from, uh, at least present here. So uh, how's everyone in? Uh, um, OK, Worf. Uh, uh, Picard, you're from France. Uh, what's, <laughs> what are things like in France right now? <laughs> well, Worf's Russian. We just don't know that yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So the forge is still not working in engineering, but he does come up with a pl engineering plan 
to escape this thing. Uh, he basically wants to get into the ship into reverse, then immediately jump to high warp in order to escape their doodah. Riker likens it to Sun Tzu, because yeah. that seems to be the theme of the episode. It's a bit of a stretch about yes. knowing when and when not to fight battles. Yes, uh, yeah, Sun Tzu is all about, you know, you know, here's a bunch of rules for you know general strategy, including don't be foolish. If you're if you're going to lose, maybe sometimes it's better not to fight that battle. So you know, other times I guess if you need to get out of somewhere quickly, go very fast. <laughs> now this doesn't actually work, and <laughs> uh, underlines the hopelessness of their situation. After the Ferengi refuse to reply to Picard's demands of them, the only option they have is to basically surrender. Yeah, so Picard, get on the speech there. Uh, try to make sure that you can keep all your internal organs. So Picard contacts the Ferengi to discuss terms of surrender, and the Ferengi reply that they would rather die than surrender unconditionally, because apparently they're in the same mess that the Enterprise is. So that we're not under your, your, your spell here, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, this is awkward. Uh, good thing Picard kind of did say things clearly. <laughs> yeah. Picard takes advantage of this situation and demands visual communication so that they can get a look at these mysterious Ferengi. Mm -hmm. uh, Damon Tarr, the Ferengi commander, offers to return the stolen device and kill his two second officers, as is custom for Ferengi surrenders. Yes. Uh, and also, and he pops up on screen. He's huge! Like, his face yeah. fills the entire screen, and it's like... like they is, is they do this sometimes. Yeah, is he a giant floating head? Uh, what's what's going on so here? So one thing that a lot of people have pointed out is in the in the shot counter shot stuff that they do. They actually spend a lot of time setting this up for some reason. The view screen is not actually a flat screen like a mm -hmm. TV or monitor. It is a holographic projection because when they show a side view of the characters talking, you see the side of the guy's face on the view screen. So Indeed. it's a three D model. Mm -hmm. So every time they talk to someone, even someone who's better in frame than this because they still blow up the image, yes. you have a seven to eight foot tall head just floating in front of you. This is by far the most terrifying way to communicate humans have ever invented. Well, you know, sometimes if you want to, I guess, test your fear response, it's a great thing, maybe. You think they'd want to put something, some kind of filter or something on this? Because most of the time they're showing a planet. It must feel like you are about to step into empty space most of the time. I don't imagine <laughs> anyone on this ship gets the cannot get vertigo going near this thing. Maybe in the future everyone's eyes are different or something. I don't know. So Picard claims that he needs some time to think over their offer, uh, which is going to give him time to work out what in the world to do. Because even though the Ferengi are also in the same predicament, they mm -hmm. still don't have any power. Yes, so... Uh... Yeah, we're going to run out of power here, and if we don't have power after a while, we just kind of die because, you know, no... We're in space. We're in space things, and it's not much air out there. It's kind of cold sometimes, or really hot if you're in the sun. So Data puts together a report while comically getting stuck in a finger trap that was left in the conference room by some kids. Do you get it? It's, it's yeah. <laughs> underlying their predicament because they're stuck. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah, it's almost like uh, they they flew into a bunch of, uh, of asteroids that were mined with energy sucking things that uh, draw out the power at a rate uh, proportional to the amount they create or something. But we'll never run into that sort of situation specifically, though, right? Also, it doesn't help them solve the problem. 
Not really, no. <laughs> it's not like, oh, see, we can use this as an analogy, like putting too much air in a balloon and then something bad happens. But no, mm -hmm. it's... Uh... <laughs> All right, so the planet that they're orbiting is one of the last remaining parts of the long-dead Takan Empire, which made up a huge civilization of trillions before their home star went supernova. And they were even so, rumored to have the technology to reposition stars. So I guess they... Uh just didn't want to move or something yeah it's weird <laughs> it's like, we can reposition stars but our own sun going supernova kind of uh, surprised us yes <laughs> or maybe it was like a, a weird thing like uh you know maybe oh, maybe they had their own uh, problem with a uh, uh, a delorean trying to get back to the nexus going on here and uh he's dropping his uh a trilithium device into the sun and it just explodes suddenly and then i have like well we got five yeah. minutes to leave um well crap I'll, i mean i'm sure someone's i'm sure someone has put this together but because i'm watching this at the same time i was going through season one of picard mm -hmm. they also deal with aliens who had the technology to move suns around yes who, <laughs> it didn't turn out well for them for other reasons indeed it's like oh, this may be a bad idea we're gonna leave a warning guys mm. So possibly, you know, something else killed them all. And I'm sure someone's written some sort of giant fan theory about this, or it's canonical. I don't know. Everything is Borg now, yeah. as far as I can tell. So, you know, the Borg well, did it. Yes, the Borg did it. Um, alternatively, maybe the supernova that destroyed Romulus went back in time and killed their homeworld as well. <laughs> mm. So anyway, they send out a probe so they can get more information about what's going on. And sure enough, there's an energy field coming from the planet that's trapping both of their ships. Uh, they have a kind of uh, interesting sort of diagram to show this off, too, I guess. Where the Enterprise is, yeah. like, huge. <laughs> a really weird lo-fi diagram. <laughs> it's because their power's down. They have, to, they have to really quickly get someone in the art department to throw that together. <laughs> Uh, how, how much time do you have on your tablet, guys? Uh, about five minutes? Well, just get it up here, right? <laughs> so they're still running out of power. Picard has to admit to Tar that they may have fibbed a little bit, which Tar knows because they also had a time to look around the planet. Picard suggests mm -hmm. they work together uh, with even more mistrust, but they agree because they really don't have much of a choice, and they're both going to send a team down to the planet. Hopefully this beaming down doesn't go poorly due to the whole mm. weird power drain. <laughs> So Rankin takes Data, Geordi, Worf, and Yar down to the planet. It's a one-way trip unless they can work out what's going on because they don't have the power to get them back up. Well, at least it's a uh, oxygen-rich planet, so they're not going mm -hmm. to uh, suffocate like they would on the ship. So Because it's one of those places yeah. that has oxygen but no plants. Yes. <laughs> and to make matters even worse, the transporter messes up and Riker materializes all alone. Whoops. He finds Data, who I guess materialized fine but just spent all of his time looking at crystals <laughs> it's like well i'm in a weird place and this crystal's kind of cool maybe it has something to do with this weird transporter effect here huh. or alternatively i could have one in my room and that would look neat so they find Jordy hanging upside down on a cliff where he materialized they start to help him down but then three ferengi arrive and they pull out energy whips that <gasps> stun the entire away team Yes, uh, the one of the least practical weapons ever, uh, it, but I guess it works. <laughs> yep. Back on the Enterprise, it's somehow been six hours. Well, I guess they've been unconscious for six hours then, yeah. or something. Everything's bad, they're going to freeze to death, and the ship's power is still draining, so we better fix this soon. 
Uh, mm. The Frangi are all hanging around with the unconscious team. They take off their communicators and are planning how to cover their butts with an unprovoked attack by claiming they were attacked first. Riker wakes up. Worf shows up from somewhere, and uh, they kind of talk to the Ferengi to distract them and give them a chance to counterattack, but they are quickly overwhelmed by the Ferengi because they have a fighting style of jumping on you and grabbing you really hard. Yes, and uh, this is the most destructive thing possible, except for Data, but Data's like, you know, guys, they're they're stronger than they look while he kind of just holds one up in the air. <laughs> but before they can all get killed, Yar shows up, and she brought a gun. Hooray! Yar, <laughs> save us! So the Frangi are disgusted because of sexism. Uh, Yar tries to shoot one, pretty understandably. But the beam is redirected to one of the crystals, and the Ferengi whip does the same, and it straightens up in a way that makes it look a lot like the kind of purple dildo collectible that they sold for saints row three yep i was uh trying to think of a uh, alternative thing and the best thing i could come up with is a uh, inappropriate uh, pool noodle then a big floating energy head appears so we've got two big floating heads this episode neat um this is portal he guards the entrance to the Khan empire which is this planet i i guess or maybe this tiny bridge half the planet's not and then you it's customs i guess yeah the customs or Maybe, oh, this is like uh, in uh, Robin Hood, uh, Men in Tights, right? Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, the, uh, you have to cross this one tiny bridge. Yes. You don't technically have to, but it's a metaphor thing. If you don't, people aren't going to respect that you've entered Sherwood Forest. So, you know. <laughs> so Riker tries to have a chat about how the Empire doesn't exist, but uh, Portal doesn't believe him. The Ferengi keep pointing out that humans lie, do other worse things. Something that Riker immediately agrees with and points out that it's stuff that they did do in their past and they probably should be criticized for that and more. So, you know, we're, we're not afraid of talking about our past. Uh, it's something that we've tried ourselves, you know, to get beyond, to, to take the criticism honestly and say we could do better. And so we've done that. So Portal decides he's going to test them and he manifests as an old man with a spear. He calls out Riker by name and quotes Sun Tzu, you know, from earlier. We're, mm -hmm. we're bringing it, bringing it around. Yes. <laughs> he then charges him full speed with sped up frame animation fighting style. Yes, uh, it's it's yeah the, the fastest animation uh, thing going on of uh, fighting styles until uh, Yoda shows up with and turns into a, I guess a spin wheel uh, spinning blade mm -hmm. of death thing there. Riker doesn't move as the spear comes down next to his head, and Portal's impressed because you know the entire Takan Empire is based on the no flinching rule. <laughs> alternatively Riker just has terrible uh you know reaction uh timing here and uh, yeah Riker has very poor reflexes yeah, and it uh, saved them all <laughs> well thankfully uh Riker's uh, suffered of a you know, brain injury earlier today otherwise we'd all be dead <laughs> so it turns out Portal can read minds and he always knew Riker was telling the truth and that he's a good boy and he frees the Enterprise and he says he would have just as easily just destroyed both of them normally, but he was intrigued that the ships mm -hmm. stopped fighting and tried to work together. So maybe uh, these these strange aliens would be, uh, you know, good friends because they can uh, sort of cooperate, and maybe they can they too can become subjects of the next Takan Empire. Yeah, there's all these little doodahs about. Maybe they should do that. Yeah. <laughs> he asks if he should destroy the Ferengi ship, but Riker's like, no, we should give them a chance to grow because they're much like how humans were a few hundred years ago just with 
massively powerful levels of technology that makes them incredibly dangerous. Indeed. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on them. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. Uh, can we leave now? Yeah. So everything's dealt with. Portal decides to go back to sleep until he's needed again. We're not going to send an archaeology team or anything. Talk to yeah. this dude. Well, you know, it might be one of those things if you come and bother him too much, he gets pissed off and starts moving your sons around. So both ships leave, but not before Riker sends a box of finger traps to the Ferengi ship. Well, like, like how they do with tribbles, but finger yes. traps. Yes, it's uh, technological tribbles. I guess they call them finger puzzles, but they're not, they're, yes, uh, I don't know why you would call it that. Because Sun Tzu, Chinese finger puzzles, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do, do we have any uh, last notes here, or, or is that it? <laughs> that's everything. That's that's the end of the episode. They all left. Done now. So, I will say that the first half of the episode, before they go down the planet... Uh, including, I'd say the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the conversation with the Damon, uh, was actually pretty good in that they're building tension step by step. You know, th- you know, it seems we're under threat. No, we're not under threat by these guys. We're under threat by something else, but we need to figure out how to work with these guys, but they seem not happy to work with us, etc., etc. And, uh, you know, all these sort of various steps here to sort of build up the, uh, you know, that there is something uh, terrible happening here and we do we have an enemy no we need to make friends with this potential enemy in order to solve the real problem sort of stuff here and it just there's a, a increasing level of fear that everything's going to be awful and everything's going to go poorly but then it doesn't because we yeah, land yeah. on the planet and the fringe are there and they're just flailing about and you're like really hey if you can if you can forget that you know what's going to happen mm-hmm. it does set up a very nice like like they i was paying attention and they don't foreshadow anything it is a very much a we've run into the super technologically advanced species and they have us mm-hmm. that's a problem yes i think there's a uh, one bit where like something happens on their ship and they're like uh don't don't get too scared guys uh and then never and it's like hmm but the audience might dun 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 but yeah once they get to the planet i think the the main problem that they wind up with with the episode is something that original series did a lot which is they introduced the all-powerful alien judge Mm -hmm. which we had one of those recently didn't we (laughs) yeah we had one of those recently but he was kind of more of a driving force to the narrative he was putting things in motion to like I'm going to test you. That's why you have to do all these silly things. Mm-hmm. This is more like the. This is more like what we got with like the Gorn episode. Yes. Where the aliens are judging humans, ba- like they're looking at humans, and like we're just going to kill both of you, and then the human does something unexpectedly nice, and they're like, oh, I guess you really are the best species. Hmm. Good job. Yeah. Well. Okay. Um... Maybe uh, maybe we don't have to be murder uh, gods here today. So, good job, and we'll let Earthwind go and uh, stop fighting in our backyard, please. Yeah, because it's having having the portal thing there is weird, and it kind of undermines the entire idea. Like setting up the setting up the beginning of maybe we are really outmatched by these guys, 
and setting up some actual tension for the people who are supposed to be, you know, your main antagonists for the series. Mm-hmm. Then later having to grudgingly work together with these people who have massive cultural differences and no trust with, and then having to mutually solve your situation, even though you don't trust each other, that would have been a much better setup for a main antagonist because you have a complicated thing. It would have been a lot more like the enemy mine Mm-hmm. sort of episode that they did later on with Geordi and the Romulans. Yes. We, we have no reason to cooperate other than survival, and we have many reasons not to think this is going to work out because of our base distrust levels. Uh, but it still demonstrates that we can if we need to, because at the end of the day, survival is more important than our weird political differences. Yes. But introducing this other thing where this just lets the Ferengi be an unambiguously bad, but also weirdly inept enemy. Yes. <laughs> Which basically ruins them from the start. Uh, so I guess maybe one thing to sort of do then is to maybe do a what if of how to make an episode like this where you introduce, you know, a you know, would be a, mass, a big antagonist to a series how would we do it different but still keep some of the same elements uh so uh speculation time if you uh, you'll uh, you know uh, uh, indulge me for a few moments Kepwin. Mm. so what if that when picard offers like maybe we can both send down a, uh, you know teams and the fringi actually refuse and so like well if they're not going to help we could still go down uh they don't seem to be objecting to us doing that and uh, they go down and they uh, start exploring and they, you know, discover the uh, the weirdness with the crystals there. Uh, and uh, they're about to sort of, you know, it's like, well, maybe we break the crystals or something like that. And uh, at, maybe at that point, have the Ferengi vessel suddenly start firing on the planet. Like, wait a moment. They, they were as held up as the Enterprise was. They've managed to undo that somehow, at least a little bit. Uh, and you know the uh, the weapons fire damages some of the crystals, and let's say that's what wakes up uh, Portal at that point. And Portal's like, "Why are you damaging my stuff?" And it's not so much a testing of their uh, you know uh, you know their philosophy or metal or peacefulness or anything like that. It's more of a I was sleeping, I want to sleep, but you're damaging my stuff. I now have to do something about this. Uh, and, uh, you know, on the planet, Riker and company are being forced to sort of have to defend these other guys that they don't have a reason to, well, defend at all. But because they're Federation good guys, they're like, you know, they're scared just like us. We're in the situation. We got trapped in the field around this planet. They're doing what they can to try to, according to what they understand, to get out of it. And... And then Portal's like, well, I still don't like that. Um, what, do we, what do you suppose we should do? Should I just destroy them? And Riker will be like, no, you know, we have our differences, but it's not, you know, you know, this is sort of a, we're just trying our best here sort of situation and sort of tries to ha- and has to find himself talking down this strange alien being to keep them from just unilaterally destroying the Ferengi uh, in the hopes that these Ferengi will, you know, go back to their people and be all like, these Federation guys are a little weird, 
but they're okay because you know you know portal would then talk to them after they uh, turn off the field or something like that you know be like you guys are only really alive because you know these federation guys said you're cool uh and so there, there's still a lot of distrust and also a demonstration that the ferengi st- are are technologically perhaps even superior in some ways because they were able to thwart the field a certain amount. Uh, and so you get to a certain situation where there's still a lot of distrust, but maybe a sliver of at least they understand what the, I guess, the the the, the general character of the Federation is to bring uh, home to their people. And if that's going to turn out we- uh, you know, for good or ill, that we'll find out in a later episode, perhaps. You know, perhaps they'll, uh, someone be like, I respect you for what you did, but if I was in the same position, I would have, you know, just said, oh yeah, I killed this Federation guy, it's fine. See, that would get a good setup for the Federation side, and I mm-hmm. agree with that. I think that we should look at a way to set up what the Ferengi were supposed to be as an antagonist mm-hmm. if we glance at another sci-fi series and also a... Uh, another character that involves chief o'brien who we haven't gotten to talk about a lot in this, uh, in this. but i brought <laughs> it up ch- earlier chief who we'll, mean that, we'll uh, that, that, that the other that, random that, transporter dude yeah <laughs> i will say i planned it because i talked about stargate earlier mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> but in stargate atlantis they introduce a, another human species called the janai who in the world of stargate they're not at all similar to the frangi but the narrative intention of them in the Stargate world is exactly the same as what we were supposed to be expecting from the Ferengi in the Star Trek world, mm-hmm. which is they are the dark mirror of our main antagonists. Or our main, they're the dark mirror of our main protagonists. Yeah, they, uh, because the original, intention goals, of the, but... the original intention of the Ferengi was to be basically modern humans in space. They are, they are supposed to be space capitalists. They're mm-hmm. supposed to be the modern United States as of circa 1980, um, but upgraded to a Federation level of technology, which is an interesting idea because the entire thesis of Star Trek, at least in the early days, was humanity can and will improve upon itself to deal with all of the problems that we have now. So Indeed. the Federation is humanity as it can be if technology keeps up with our drive to better ourselves and the world around us as um i've heard some people describe it as like technology keeping up with human empathy and the ferengi are supposed to be what if not what if humans (laughs) what if a human-like culture from the 1980s when we were entering a very aggressive market-based bubble capitalism Um, became that level of technology like what would that look like how would it differ it's supposed to show us the juxtaposition this is what we are now and this is what we could be yes so (laughs) now when you you know set up a good contrast here in order to you know encourage the federation sort of outlook going forward Mm -hmm. so i'm going to do a very brief synopsis of some stargate stuff to explain my analogy but i'll try to be uh, succinct here so so the wraith right <laughs> yeah well basic the basic <laughs> thing you need to know is in stargate the u.s military is unambiguously good 
there are a lot of criticisms to be had of the way that shows like Stargate use this. But Mm -hmm. if we're taking the universe at face value, the U.S. military is unambiguously good. They do use force only in justifiable ways, only to defend the innocent or themselves, only against greater powers, and always proportional and always with a mind to eliminating as much collateral damage as humanly possible. Indeed, and basically anyone who doesn't fit that mold that is nominally on the Earth's side is either you know a corrupt outside organization or a puppet of the same. Yes. Now, when we introduce the Janai, they have a very similar level of technology to modern humans. They're slightly behind. They haven't invented nuclear power. And in the world of the show, they don't have access to the future technology that Earth has been using for years because of the Stargate adventures. Indeed. But mostly they have more or less the same military structure that we would have had um, around and after World War II. So post-World War II sort of United States as sort of compression into a singular sort of single culture there, yes. Yeah, and they believe in extreme force is always justified when you're fighting for your own survival. So they are willing to take on aggressive military tactics, ignore civilian casualties, use uh, nuclear arms in planetary atmospheres, a bunch of stuff that they've demonstrated that the human military in Stargate won't do. And this shows us the juxtaposition of this is the good military, the good international funded military of Stargate Atlantis, and this is the bad military that you could imagine earth sending out instead it's like yes uh we're about uh a certain level of uh, revenge here says the jedi because uh you've thwarted our plans enough times good guy peoples so uh yeah, this time this is all this... yeah we're we're not just doing survival but we're also going to get revenge on you occasionally yeah they were they're initially they're initially introduced as a sympathetic faction who you want to mm-hmm. help they seem very very similar to you which you could do with something like the Ferengi. They seem a sympath- They could be a sympathetic enough f- faction. They have a similar level of technology. They seem to have mm-hmm. similar goals. They're called the Ferengi Alliance in earlier episodes, which is yeah. something that gets dropped. But you could imagine a spacefaring capitalist society wouldn't look that different from the Federation on its surface. Because as with our modern society a lot of the problems that you introduce through that way of managing a system are kind of pushed to the sidelines and hidden Mm -hmm. so you could introduce them as something that looks very much like the federation initially and then the more you interact the more you find out that their different way of doing things actually puts you at odds most of the time and then you go from we could have a friendly interaction to you are doing something that is so outrageously immoral by our standards that we have to stand against you, thus introducing the antagonistic relationship. Indeed, you know, uh, it's like, okay, so uh, what are some of the destructive and uh, very non-Federation vibing uh, sort of things that capitalists can get up to? Say, colonialism. They've gone to a planet where there is a a, a pre-warp civilization, and the, you know something the Federation would not do because of Prime Directive, and just sort of started exploiting the hell out of the people. You know they got them to uh, dig up you know uh, dilithium or something like that, and you know their planet's going to be you know ecological dead zone in a few centuries. But the Ferengi don't really care because they're getting cheap labor and cheap goods. See, and, even within the context yeah. of this episode, 
you could alter your premise very, very slightly, mm-hmm. and they could agree to work together. It's in their mutual interest. Capitalists yes. are very about getting free stuff from other people. Mm-hmm. Like, they go down, they discover the same sort of planet, they discover it's full of this weird ancient technology stuff, they start working together to disable it and get back to their ships. Mm-hmm. The Federation wants to leave it well enough alone slash learn from it. The Ferengi start trying to harvest it yes. in order to better their own technology and sell it, which ticks off Portal. Mm-hmm. So instead of it turning into a firefight that starts destroying his stuff, they start stealing things. Bingo. And uh, I believe there's something sort of uh, like that in Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, uh, Ferengi shows up and they're like, I'm going to be kind of along with you guys. And then, yoink. Yeah, as badly set up as some of that stuff in that show is, which is a completely different discussion, (laughs) they do have that. They think they can work together. The Ferengi backstabs them because Ferengi be what Ferengi be. Yeah, we we didn't understand your motivations, but now we do. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, yeah, going forward, we're going to have to lay down some ground rules. Please don't steal stuff when we're involved. Yeah. Yeah. But you could set up an antagonistic relationship that way because now... By solving the portal problem, which I would imagine would involve possibly getting back the stolen stuff or preventing them from stealing the stuff or siding with portal to like convince them to free everyone so they recognize they shouldn't get into a firefight right then because they're convincing the portal to free everyone. Mm-hmm. But now they've just cost the Ferengi a great deal of money. Yes, and now the Ferengi might... Uh, it's like, well, our normal uh, sort of economic engines won't be able to disrupt their internal uh, what economy exists or something like that at the Federation because, you know, it's not really well defined. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we're incompatible on that. But maybe we could still use our economic might to box them in somehow. Uh, and so maybe they start wheeling and dealing and start hearing words about, like, yes, the Ferengi have made friends with, you know, these one guys, uh, the you know, these... New, uh, you know, uh, Cardassians reintroducing here. And apparently they're helping fund their uh, border raids or something like that. And you could even, they, they never get into it. Which I feel like is a kind of a shame given the the narrative uh, possibilities that you could have with something like this. But if you look at the Ferengi as the space capitalism and the Federation as unnamed space socialism, because that would be mm-hmm. scary... Yes. <laughs> um, running a spaceship like that would be unbelievably prohibitively expensive. A bit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even given their advanced technology that's obviously made it a lot cheaper, anytime you introduce the Ferengi into a situation, they would need to be able to make enough profit to justify the fact that they have brought their ship somewhere. Yes. <laughs> that would constantly be a reason that they would be at odds with anything that the Federation is doing in the area because the most stuff that the Federation is doing is antithetical to making money. Like, yeah, we're, we're technically trading. But that's because someone on Vulcan needs this material and these people on this one planet have it. So they're giving it over. So that's why we're flying the, uh, the transport. Uh, why are and you, you try- run into some <laughs> interesting moral questions that you could explore as mm-hmm. a post-scarcity society interacting with a still capitalist society. Because, Indeed. yes, the thing you're doing is going to unambiguously help this planet and be good for everyone. But because the Ferengi have chosen to operate under a certain set of rules, the thing you're doing is actually going to cause tangible harm to them. 
It is tangible harm that is self-inflicted because they refuse to let go of these archaic ideas by your standards, but it is still causing them tangible harm. Yes. You know, we've lost an opportunity. We, we were going to be the cargo runners here, but so now there's no point for us to have, even have this giant spaceship with death beams and a cargo bay, you know, that can fit a planet in it. Yeah, now we lost all this fuel to get out here and all yeah. this other stuff, and we're going to have to, you know, not be able to feed our crew for the next week or some such. Yeah, well, uh, do you Federation types, uh, can we sell you our crew, uh, our crew now? Uh, will that work, maybe? Do you need some workers? See, there's no? a lot of oh. really interesting <laughs> things that you could do if you wanted to lean into this idea. I feel like the main problem that you hit, which is a problem that you hit throughout Next Generation, like it's it's mm -hmm. it's a lot more noticeable in the first few seasons but it's still something that you hit throughout all of next generation because it is a tv show being made in the 80s and 90s yes just we are not going to critique capitalism in this show <laughs> like it's just not going to happen introducing a species whose entire point is supposed to be a critique of modern 80s capitalism in an era in which you are just not going to have a critique of 80s style capitalism was a monumentally stupid idea yes <laughs> we want to do a thing but we can't so what are we gonna do instead crickets <laughs> yeah crickets. why why have a species that's a critique of modern capitalism in an era in which you are not allowed to critique capitalism mm-hmm you know, if you wanted to make them sort of a, a lingering, quiet menace throughout the series, you might be able to pull it off on the sly. But as a in-your-face, we're going to be a big problem here sort of threat, no, it's it's not going to fly under Reagan's America. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, overall, that's the problem with the Ferengi. That's why this episode is not particularly workable. Yes. <laughs> so as I said, you know, some good tension for the first half. But after that, when it actually needs to, you know, say things, yeah, I guess it teaches people that Sun Tzu exists. Yeah, yeah. vaguely. <laughs> I did find this quote you were talking about where the director told them to jump around like gerbils. Yeah. Oh, they're gerbils, not hamsters. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I used to have pet gerbils. They do not do this. <laughs> Well, maybe you didn't give enough caffeine to them, you know? <laughs> yes, over-caffeinated gerbils. So, uh, you know, we should probably at least mention a little bit about Sun Tzu. Uh, it's a uh, sort of a, uh, a, a Chinese general. Uh, was like, you know, 500-something BC was about when he was around. Uh, he uh, wrote this this book of some sort, a, a thing called The Art of War. Which is what is you know sort of his most famous sort of uh, work. So uh, basically, the philosophy of war and how to win battles and wars in general, and it's one of those sort of, I guess, foundational texts for a lot of uh, later sort of philosophers, as well as general military training uh, in China and without. You know, some of it is pretty straightforward, like what was presented this episode. You know, sometimes it's what you know knowing when it is time to fight and when it's not to fight can help you make good decisions. You know, just always fighting or always not fighting 
you know, as far, you know, as far as a general concern, you know, can lead to missed opportunities or getting your entire army and potentially country destroyed. Uh, so, you know, maybe think about these things and don't, you know, go into things without, you know, without sort of a, a little forethought about what might happen. Uh, and so a lot of the, I guess, general advice there is sort of pretty simple on that sort of front, but it does get a little bit more uh, involved in other bits. So I've only uh, read excerpts, though, so I can't say uh, for sure yeah. about the entirety of it. So I don't know a massive amount about this period of Chinese history. But it is an interesting case in some of these things because a lot of Sun Tzu's writings, as I understand it, is a lot of rules for living. A lot of things about knowing your own strengths and weaknesses, knowing whether or not you should fight, which is a very, um, it's a very through line. I'm going to give a very brief, brief overview because I did not prepare enough to speak on someone else's culture. But yes. uh, China in that time period, especially with uh, a lot of Confucius thinking, uh, was was the uh, philosophical framework of a lot of Chinese writing was very much on ways to live properly. And if you lived properly, either as a common citizen or a leader, uh, that was how you did things effectively. There was a lot of stuff written about how a leader should lead properly. And by leading properly, they would become right. They, they would prove their right to lead, essentially. Mm-hmm. Sort so of, this is a very similar sort of this is a very sort of similar through line like live properly think properly and you will win your conflicts indeed uh but by the way confucius was sort of a contemporary of sun tzu as well so so it's very yeah i'm uh, looking at how it seems like nobody's 100 percent sure how those two interacted also i yeah. <laughs> do know that uh, like 90 something percent of confucius writing may or may not be confucian because there was a lot of <laughs> His Editing. students who wrote stuff and attributed it to him for hundreds of years after he died. So that's well, yeah, very sure. This, this good idea was totally his idea, and I'm just not pulling it out right now out of my ass because it makes sense and no one's going to pay attention to it otherwise, you know. <laughs> yeah, hi- history from that era is very iffy, hard yes. to hard to get a hard to get a through line on. Indeed. Uh, and yeah, this is not just China, but basically anywhere, yeah, in the everywhere, world, really. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Anything that happened more than about a thousand years ago, we we have no no clue. Well, heck, I'd say even like you know yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah you'll get your stuff sorted out, and uh, you'll be able to be a, a good general, a good leader, a good peasant, a, a good merchant, whatever you know. Speaking of Yankees and uh, trading, yes. Commodore Perry. Did they mention Commodore Perry? I don't know. No, but uh, uh, you know, Yankee traders did get me thinking about him. Okay. <laughs> so uh, real short on him, uh, 1852, he shows up in Japan. He's like, hey, you want to, or it was about 83, I think maybe, or 1853, I think. Uh, was, uh, he met with the Togoka, uh, uh, Tokugawa Shogunate, and uh, was basically like, hey, you want to trade with us, right? And they're like, uh, like we got a big ship here. You want to trade with us? And so like, all right, let's maybe sign a peace treaty so we don't have problems. Yeah. And then Perry went home and was declared a hero. <laughs> yeah. So you could do stuff like that, too. That could yeah. be a very good way to handle the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I mean, it's one of those things that's like, why? That kind of makes sense for like a first or second contact situation. It's like you go to a planet that's been met by the Ferengi who are basically, you're going to trade with us or else. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're like, the Ferengi, le Ferengi have now left and Enterprise shows up. It's like, we, do, do you want us to help out? Do you want us to you know, follow them? Do you want to help you get ready for the trading? Uh, what What is it, guys? And maybe it's a bit of discussion about how the interaction went and all that sort of stuff and some of these historical parallels. Uh, but, you know, instead we got the last outpost. Yep. Yep. <laughs> which ruined the Ferengi until DS9, mm -hmm. which turned them into weird comedy side characters, which was better, but still really not doing much with their writing potential. There was bits and pieces in DS9 that uh, showed that there was more than the sort of, I guess, stereotype for him. Uh, like the that one guy who was like an eliminator. He's like, okay, so this guy is pro seems he's an assassin, isn't he? And he is interested in profit, but it's not his number one thing. So apparently in Fruginki culture, there is those that basically just take a lot of pride in their jobs. And that's and the profit is sort of an aspect there, yes, but it's not the totality of their existence. I'd like to know more about those sort of folks, <laughs> if they're assassins or not. <laughs> yeah, but they moved from inept villains to comedy relief. Yes. So it's not going to get a lot of interesting, deep explorations. <sighs> Alas, maybe maybe in the future. We'll see. <laughs> Come on, Discovery. Let's have some of our Fringies talk. We didn't get as depressing as normal, but Sun Tzu would say you need to know when to end a podcast. And that time is not yet. No, what? because we have the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. How beautiful are you tonight? You are all very beautiful. And I've got to say, we got some uh, some new contestants here, these Ferengi guys. They seem interesting. Um, so let's uh, tally up the scores here and start handing out the prizes. The first one goes uh, is the uh, Fooled You prize, which goes to the Ferengi captain for using a distortion filter on his camera to make himself seem huge and large for the Enterprise crew. You know, and all that sort of giant floating head nonsense here. Uh, Gepun, what does he win? They win orthodontry because it's ridiculous that a species that's this obsessed with profit would not have created some way to charge people for making themselves look better on giant screens. <laughs> that would actually make a lot of sense, you know? Though they do uh, later on uh, seem to show off that they really do enjoy like their uh, their sharp teeth sort of thing there. So... Maybe this is very beautiful for them. Hmm. Our second prize is the Sufficiently Advanced Aliens Prize, which goes to the Takan Empire. Sort of. Sufficiently advanced enough to have grand wonders and move stars around, but not advanced enough to move next door. What do they win, Gepwin? The Kakan Empire wins the Multi-Planet Species Award, because it just goes to prove all these empires, doesn't matter how many planets you spread your species to, as soon as your homeworld's destroyed, you're all goners. Hmm, yes. Uh, maybe it says uh, says something about uh, 
how the uh, population densities are sort of uh, set up in the uh, Star Trek universe or something like that. Hmm. Seems like a, a critical failure is going to wipe anybody out, apparently. Anywho, our final prize today is, our, is Riker and Donuts, which goes to Riker for having no reaction at all to someone swinging a polearm at his shoulder. Suggests his mind was just on something else. Maybe Donuts. What does he win, Gepwin? Riker wins. Someone looking into this, this is a big risk to take for someone who should be the highest level of combat trained mm-hmm. in the entire world. So maybe we should have a query. They uh, they do say in various parts throughout the series that uh, Federation combat training is uh, training is uh, second to none. So, you know, this is as good as I it gets. This possibly could be a, I can take this dude, but I don't need to move yet. Yes. <laughs> if, if he cuts off my arm, it's fine. <laughs> Just a flesh wound. So that's all the prizes we got to hand out to, uh, this time, uh, because Riker did not lose his arm. It didn't get cut off yet. So uh, feel free to take us away, Gepwin. Yes, thank you all for joining us in this ridiculous thing that we do to amuse ourselves at the end of the episode called The Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Woo! Alright, next week, it's the world of imagination. Imagination land? Wait, are we going to meet Lucifer again? No, maybe. Hmm. We have a character who we don't know who is, so I guess he could be. Hmm. Secret Satter Spore Specialist. Yeah. So this one is, (laughs) this is not a bad episode. It's one of the better ones of the original season. Uh, it is, though, 100% an entire episode based on setting up Wesley's super special amazing boy backstory. Yep. <laughs> There's some cool stuff going on, but if you don't like Wesley being a, um, a, a uber kid, magical person, something plot here, yeah, uh, yeah this is the kind of the episode to really mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, I mean, I... I do think that Wesley got a bit of a bad rap. Looking back on it, he's definitely one of the less annoying teenage boy characters from this era of television. Agreed. <laughs> In fact, uh, I'd say that compared to most, he's pretty pretty low-key. Yeah, but this entire episode is a look how special Wesley is. Have we told you Wesley is special? Let me spell it out for you with my dying breath. <laughs> We're going to break the space-time continuum and go beyond all things and reason here, man. And he's going to take us there. He's going to bring us home. Mm-hmm. So, along next with, week, along with this other guy. we have the horribly named episode where no one has gone before. What about the people who live there? I don't know. Nobody lives there, apparently. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, believe in the heart of the warp engine. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience 
or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>